let us live in that reality day by day and always to the glory of God. Invite the men to come and bring you a study guide for this morning's message. As we continue our series of We Believe, you might say, well, I thought we finished that. We kind of sort of did as we came to the end of the section of our statement of faith. But when we turn the page, we come to something called our church covenant. And in our church covenant, there is a lot to learn and there is a lot to teach that is found there. And this morning, we're going to do it a little bit out of order because of the fact that as a church, we are together coming up on the period of time each year when we put together a budget. I'd like to skip forward in the, in the church covenant to the section relating to us contributing. But I'd like for us, before we launch into that part of the topic of contributing to the church, the support of the church, and how we do that, and what the church's priorities are, I'd like for us to just look at the church covenant as a whole. So if you've got the handout there and you open it up to the inside, though, you'll see Fellowship Baptist Church and you'll see church covenant and you'll see the paragraphs there. That's the whole covenant. You'll also find a copy of this in the back of your hymnal. So if you didn't happen to get a handout and you wouldn't like to follow along still, you can follow along in the back of your hymnal. I'd like for us to read this together and then we're going to come back and look more specifically at a portion of the second paragraph. But uh, let us begin by just reading in unison together the entire church covenant. So would you join me? Having been led, as we believe by the Spirit of God, to receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenants with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation, and mindful of the rules of our Savior, to secure it without delay. And we moreover engage that when we move from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's Word. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you this day for your precious word. May we learn from it. In the most basic necessities and details of life, you have spoken. Just as you have spoken to the things that are high and great, even above our comprehension. In all of these things, we seek you, and we pray that your Spirit would teach us. Teach us that we may understand. Teach us that we may live for your glory. We are your church. We are your body. Glorify yourself through us. May we submit to you as our head. May we follow you as our good shepherd. And we pray that you would build up your church, that you would, through us, spread your glorious gospel around the world. And Lord, we pray that your gospel would be advanced as we consider finances, one part of this world, some think, but an important part in the continuance of your church through the, throughout the world. And Lord, we pray that as we look to your word to help us to understand what our role is, what we commit to one another in on this, that you would teach us. Give me wisdom and clarity of speech. And Lord, glorify yourself in this time, we pray. Amen. Well, as a church, we are about to launch into our, well, I shouldn't say we're about. We do this every year, and it's ongoing in our church budget. And you'll see a tentative working budget that's been available back there at the Welcome Center last week, still today. And then this afternoon, we're going to have a hearing. In a few weeks, we're going to have a budget meeting in which a proposed, a proposed budget from the pastors and deacons will be voted upon. Is this all that significant? You know, we don't spend a lot of time in this church talking about money or preaching it. I know some pastors who talk about preaching on money, and it should be an annual event. Well, if we took all the topics that we need to talk about on an annual basis, <laughs> there's more than 52 we'd have to cover. And so it's something that we touch on from time to time. But as we're continuing through our series of our statement of faith and also our church covenant, we've come to this topic, and in a timely manner, well, we're jumping through a little bit, jumping a little bit into the middle of the covenant. Part of the reason is, is because as a church, we've come to this time of year when we put together our budget and look at it. How, you might wonder, do we prioritize our budget? How do we structure the different details? What's our basis of it? Well, ultimately, our basis needs to come back to the authority of the Word of God. It's really a priority question. You may put it in different words. It's really a worship question. You think, wait a minute, I thought worship was singing. Oh, no. Yes, we can sing in worship, but worship is really anything and everything that we think, that we say, that we do, does it bring glory to God? Does it lift Him up and does it exalt Him? Do our actions show that we trust Him as the one who is great? Do our actions, do our thoughts, do our words convey that He is one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that He is the creator of all things, and that with him nothing is impossible. Do we use and spend our money, invest our money in such a way that God is glorified, that our financial priorities are in line with his financial priorities? I submit to you that though we're talking about a church budget, 
These questions are just as important in our personal budget. I imagine that few of you, maybe you've thought of it, but you have to remind yourself every time, think of paying bills as a worship service. Did you know it can be and very often should be? Praying bills a worship service? Yes, because it is a time in which we align our priorities and we ask, are these my God's priorities? And there are certain things we maybe need to cut out of our budget, stop those bills, because they may not be in line with God's priorities. There's perhaps some other things that we need to put on our budget and maybe treat like bills that we don't normally think of as bills. There's a lot of different priorities and a need for us to worship. But keep in mind the word priorities. There's been many, many, many a sermon preached on what's called sacrificial giving. Well, if you look through scriptures, you'll find examples of those who gave sacrificially. But you will find that the admonition and the teaching is not about sacrificial giving, but is more specifically about cheerful giving. It's very much about cheerful. It may be sacrificial, but what is the spirit, what is the heart of the giving? And it's very important for us to consider. As an illustration of how priorities make a difference, you may think, and some people have this idea that um, churches or organizations, nonprofit organizations, they're always, always, always asking for money. Oh my, these last few years I've been helping my grandma with her finances. Oh my, the mail she gets. <laughs> you know, I finally showed her a trick. I says, Grandma, you know how you sort your mail without opening it all? You look at the top right-hand corner where it has a postage stamp, and if the postage stamp says nonprofit, then you have a clue that it's somebody asking for money. And then you can look and see who it's from, and if they don't say who it's from, don't even bother opening it. And if they do say who it's from, you can decide right then and there whether or not you're going to do anything. Problem is that Grandma's eyes are so bad she couldn't see the little nonprofit in the postage stamp or the, the metered print there. But it's a question. Always people asking for money, asking for money, asking for money from everything, everything, everything. Oh, they'll even, this is a great trick, they'll even send you a check in the mail for a few dollars um, to obligate you to cash it and send more back. It's amazing the gimmicks that are out there. And it really works on some people. My grandma, for example, she'd write you a check and you'd say, oh, no, no, grandma, that was a gift. I did that just to help you. And she'd say, oh, no, don't you waste my check. Don't you waste my check. I pay for those checks. And she does. I paid for that check. Don't you waste my check. you got to cash that check. And so people use that to raise money. The deal is, here, we send you a check for $2.92. And the plan is, you cash it, and then you send them $5. The gimmicks that are out there. Should the church be engaged in such gimmicks? No. No, 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 no. It's the reason why we have made, been crystal clear in our church's bylaws, not in only in our covenant, but in our bylaws, that the finances of this church shall be raised by free will offerings. It is a free will offering. It is an offering that you give, that I give to from my own free will. It's my choice. There is no obligation nor requirement for me to give. It is by free will. That's what part of our covenant says. If you were to look at the second paragraph of our covenant, I've also printed it on the first page of that handout you have there. I want you to notice a key word. Actually, before you turn to the first page, look again at the whole covenant. 
And I'd like to point something out in the second, third, and fourth paragraph. Throughout our church's statement of faith, we found this phrase. We believe. Almost every paragraph in our church's statement of faith begins with the words, we believe. Do you notice a difference in our church's covenant? The covenant follows our statement of faith. We lay a foundation of what we believe, and we come to an agreement on what we believe on these basic foundational truths. We believe. But then it continues on, and if you look at the first phrase in the second, third, and fourth paragraph, do you see the key word? It is, we engage. Now, I didn't write this, but as I've meditated on it, I find that brilliant. Brilliant. We begin with what we believe, but then once we've laid the foundation of what we believe, what do we do with what we believe? We engage. And this is, in this covenant, a a commitment, a covenant between us as fellow believers to engage for a common purpose, a common goal. We are engaging, we are coming together to covenant together to work and to move forward for a unified cause and purpose. And we've specified some of those and called them out here in this. This is really for us to lay out what are our priorities. And we've read through several of those priorities here this morning. We we read through the whole thing. And what I'd like to now is to take some time and look at one particular aspect of this, especially as it relates to our church covenant. You'll notice there in the second paragraph, we'll read the whole paragraph because it's kind of related, but we're going to look then particularly at the last part of it. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinance, discipline, and doctrines. And here's the part we're going to look at today, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. This is a common goal that we share together. It is a goal in which we covenant together to engage in this cause. We're going to skip to the latter part of this paragraph, but I don't want you to disconnect it from the first part of the paragraph. The first part of the paragraph is key, vital. Do you see it? By the aid of the Holy Spirit. Everything in this covenant, if the Holy Spirit is ignored, or if we do not seek his aid in it, will be very much futile. I'm not saying that there won't be things done, but it will be futile. We need every single day in all that we engage in the aid of the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one, if you're a Christian, who lives inside of you and me and every believer. 
He is the basis of unity. He is the basis of priority. He is the one who not only leads us, but he also empowers us, gives us aid to do what we need to do. He is our priority. He is our aid. He is our helper. And so as we look to the question here of contributing, we must not forget the Holy Spirit. He is vitally important. So let's look at it here. It says that we engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to contribute cheerfully and regularly. Giving is nothing particularly new to the church. In the Old Testament economy, the Old Testament dispensation, there was a mandatory law regarding offerings and tithes. It was a requirement. And if you didn't bring the money offerings or the sacrifice offerings or the, the animal offerings or the food offerings, there was sin guilt upon you. It was a serious matter under the Old Testament law. Very serious. In fact, if you were to look at Malachi the prophet, he spoke of them as people who were robbing God. That's a pretty strong statement. He asks Malachi the prophet in Malachi 3 verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And he says, In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you windows of heaven and pour you out blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Here you see both in the Old Testament economy, the Old Testament dispensation of where it was a mandatory required law of giving tithes and offerings. A tithe is a percentage of your income, a percentage of the total. Abraham, even before the law, actually set an example of a tithe when he gave 10%, one-tenth to the Lord. And so you see, even before the law of Moses, a man who is giving a tithe, making an offering in, of money and of possessions in the days of Abraham before the law. It was legalized under the Israelite system, that law which Christ fulfilled, which we are not under. But it's, we can learn things from it. And it's interesting here. We're not under this, but it was a serious matter under the law of Moses. But it is a little different maybe not a little, it is significantly different in the church in the New Testament. There was this command of bringing the offerings, and in fact, it came with it a promise of blessing. You see in Malachi 3, God spoke of opening the windows of heaven to such an abundance that you will not be able to, to, to house it, to take care of it, to receive it. You won't have the barns big enough. In, the, in Proverbs Chapter 3 and verse 9, the command was given, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Here, this lays down a principle that actually, I believe, transcends all dispensations, really, is that we are to honor the Lord with our substance. In everything, we honor the Lord. Oftentimes, we need to do so with the first fruits, what's from the beginning, or you might say from the top, because if we wait to the bottom, we might just forget and not leave anything there. 
And I think God knows us well enough to say, start at the top. But there's a lot of priorities that are there. Just as a side little rabbit trail that's important to go down, and that is when we speak of priorities. Again, some people talk about sacrificial giving. Be careful. Keep another scripture in balance with that. Because the scriptures also say that he that provides not for his own is worse than an infidel. It's dealing actually with those who have a responsibility of providing for their own. Some have actually wrongly emphasized, quote-unquote, sacrificial giving to the neglect of basic necessities for which if they are not providing, the scriptures it doesn't really matter what you give of your possessions you're worse than an infidel. There is a priority of when you have those whom you are caring for, that there is a great importance and priority that you provide for the basic needs. Jesus described those basic needs as with food and raiment, therewith be content. We're not talking about Netflix or an iPhone here. Food and raiment are of an important priority, and that's a part of worship. That's a part of worship. The one who has a responsibility to care for children or for others has that as a responsibility. But you see how when you take the considerations and priorities in mind, it is so important. So we covenant together to engage together by the aid of the Holy Spirit to contribute to a series of things. The ministry of the church overarching, you could say. But how is this done, particularly in the church, in contrast to the Old Testament? I believe that the truths that are presented here in the New Testament, applied in the Old Testament, apply throughout all ages. This contribution that we give by the aid, the help of the Holy Spirit is to be done cheerfully and regularly. Cheerfully. Turn with me, very important for us to see this, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In fact, the entire chapter of 2 Corinthians 9 is about giving. I'll tell you, if you look at my Bible, I've got all kinds of verses marked and scriptures marked. There's a lot on this topic. And we're only looking at just one little verses here and there. All of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is about giving. It is about investing our finances in others. But the one key principle that we have drawn in our church covenant from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is in verse 7. It says this, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. This is why we speak of free will offerings. It is what you purpose in your heart, together with the aid of the Holy Spirit, to give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. This is really important for us. We engage together not to guilt each other about giving, not to require, necessitate people to give, not to always be grumbling about money, but we have covenant together to engage with the aid of the Holy Spirit to contribute cheerfully, free will as one, each one purposeth in his heart to give. I would submit to you that if you are giving grudgingly that you not give. You might think, oh, that's crazy. Be careful. There's a little bit of a sense of obeying, but there's also a sense in which if you are obeying grudgingly, you're not really obeying. To put it in an Old Testament context, God says to them, I don't desire your sacrifices, your heart. 
heart is what really matters to me. And he even says that your offerings stink to me when your heart's not right. So dear brothers and sisters, if you are giving of necessity or grudgingly, it's not a sweet smelling save it's not a sweet smelling odor or scent or perfume to God. It's troubling. It's troubling and I submit to you better not you're better not to give. Give cheerfully for it says God loves a cheerful giver. This is what God loves. It needs to come from the heart. We covenant together to engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit to contribute cheerfully and regularly. This is a principle that's important. Would you turn back now to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians? Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we will look here at a few verses at the beginning of this chapter. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. He's basically saying, I have given some instructions about collecting for the saints. And I've already given it to the churches of Galatia. Now, if you know your geography, you know that's over there um, in those cities of, of Antioch of Pisidia and Iconium and Lystra region. Tarsus, that's where Paul was, or Saul was originally from. That's a different region, actually, than Corinth. So here he's actually saying, listen, there is a principle I'm going to present to you that I've already presented and shared. You've probably heard about it from the churches in Galatia. It's for you guys, too. Pay attention. Maybe he's having to write it here because they had probably heard about it but said, yeah, nah, that's just for those people over there, not for us. Be careful about doing that. Sometimes when we read things, we say, oh, that's for them, not for us, when really there's a lot of things we need to wake up to. And so Paul is calling to them, saying, this collection for the saints. Now, this is specifically dealing with the fact that there were some really important needs for some saints who were in distress. This is a very particular situation. And there was a lot, a great need for their, to, um, to help these people. And Paul is actually traveling throughout these churches, and he is collecting these funds. In fact, actually, Paul, one of the big adventures of his life is that he was carrying a lot of money on his person, and he was a high risk of, of thievery and highway robbery because he was going from church to church throughout regions collecting funds to bring back to Jerusalem for the poor saints who were at Jerusalem. Well, he understood a principle about people. I, should, I was going to say, uh, raise your hand, but I don't have to raise your hand because we probably all would have to raise our hand. Have you ever been surprised by a bill? Paul, you don't have to raise your hand. I sure have been surprised by a bill. And then there's another need that comes up and you go, oh, oh I wish I could help with that. But I can't because I can't even pay these other obligations that I have. Paul knows that's real. And by the way, that's nothing unique. That's something that's been true throughout the ages. So Paul is coming collecting funds for poor saints, and he gives a really brilliant strategy and idea to help people. And by the way, this financial advice is not only good for how we may help other people, this financial advice is really good for everyday life. Like, if you don't have an emergency fund, 
You might hear me and other advisors say, well, start with $1,000 and then build up to three to six months of income as an emergency fund to hold in reserve. Well, that's sound financial advice. I once knew somebody who says, oh, I haven't had $1,000 in the bank account since I got married. Poor thing, he put it, tied it to his marriage. And so he's like, oh, it's overwhelming to think of even saving up $1,000. Well, how would you save up $1,000? Little at a time. If we start to say $1,000 or $5,000, it's very hard. But when it's a little at a time, Paul knew that principle in life, and he knew that it was important in anticipating for him coming. He knows he's coming to Corinth, and so he's written this letter ahead to them, and what he's advising them to do is to lay up money ahead so that when he arrives, he doesn't present the need of those in Jerusalem and say, look how big of a deal this is. And everybody's like, oh no, we don't have any money on hand to be able to help in you, Paul. So he's writing them to a head. And what's the advice that he gives them? Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. You might say, well, we're not liberals, we're conservatives. Ah, did you know you need to be both liberals and conservatives? You say, how's that? Paul's actually teaching that. He's saying you need to be conservatives. Week by week on the first day of the week, lay it up in store, saving it, so that when I come, there's no need for you to be scrambling for it is already there for you to be liberal. And I can bring your liberality, all of your goodness, your freeness of giving to Jerusalem at that time. And so we look at this principle that's laid forth, and we too look at this, and that's why we as a church family, we covenant together to engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit to contribute cheerfully and regularly. That's one reason why we take up an offering on the first day of the week. It's a regular thing. We don't wait until we have a big need. No, it is a regular thing so that as time goes by, we have what we need when the needs arise or when God leads us in different ways. It's very important. And now, if you look with me as we talk about the priorities. So we've talked about the need for us and how we have, as a church, covenanted together to engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to contribute cheerfully and regularly. To what? To what? Our church covenant, we have identified four priorities. Four priorities. To the support of the ministry, to the expenses of the church, to the relief of the poor, to the spread of the gospel through all nations. If you look at our church's budget, you will see these reflected in this budget. These priorities are listed here in different ways. What are they? Well, we have so little time to go through these, but we, I would like for us to attempt to overview them. To the support of the ministry, what is that? If we look throughout the scriptures, we're going to find that ministry has to do with people. People are a key part of ministry. And we find principles and foundation lessons laid down for us of the support of those who are engaged in ministry. It continues by extension then to the next point of the expenses of the church. 
As those who are ministering are engaging in their ministry, there are other auxiliary expenses. Those auxiliary expenses, by the way, can't neglect from the priority of people. People. Look with me at some of this structure of the support of the ministry of the church. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy has many instructions that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave to Timothy about how things ought to be done in the church. And he gave us some specific instruction regarding the elders. Those are the shepherds, the bishops, the pastors in the church. And he spoke of this need very specifically in chapter 5 and verse 17, right after, by the way, dealing with the poor widows, which is later on down here. And he says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. What is the double honor? What is this talking about? Well, the next verse explains it. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. You might be scratching your head saying, huh? What this means is the ox, the cow who's treading out the corn in the threshing floor, you're not supposed to put a muzzle on him so he can't nibble down and eat some of the corn he's threshing. You're not to muzzle him. You're to let him eat of the corn he's doing the work to get out for you. And so the principle then is explained. End of verse 18. And the laborer is worthy of his reward. This is an important principle laid down. This is a support of pastors and the need for them to be counted worthy of those especially that labor in the word and doctrine of double honor. This is the support of the ministry. If you turn back to Philippians Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Over in Philippians 4, it's dealing with the missionary side of things. But if you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul continues to give teaching on this need of supporting those who are ministering in the church and in the body. And he speaks of this and, again, uses other illustrations. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, he asks some questions. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? What's that mean? Who is hired as a soldier and does it voluntarily? You might say, well, I know some people who have in the past. You're right, but it's not the normal case. Normally, a soldier goes forth, and he's not expected to care for his own charges. In fact, he's expected to receive pay. Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Nobody plants a vineyard and then doesn't receive the reward or the fruit of that vineyard. Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock. No one pastors or feeds the flock and doesn't eat of the milk, drink of the milk of the flock. So he says in verse 8, Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also. He's laid down a principle and says this is the way it works in normal life of human beings, but oh, in case you need a little bit more weight, the law said it too. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? So he's saying if God says that you're supposed to feed the oxen who does the work, and he cares about the oxen, do you think he also cares about those who are laboring among you in word and in doctrine? Those who are laboring in you with the ministry? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? 
Is it just for the oxen or is it also for us? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things. Carnal things are those things that are temporal. It is food, financial support. And this is what the point he is making. He goes on in this chapter to admonish both to make a point out of himself as an example that the one who is ministering doesn't do it for the money. In fact, that's one of the qualifications of a pastor. He can't be greedy of filthy lucre. Serious problem if he is. Nor can he be one who is presumptuous or demanding of this. That also is a problem. And Paul, in order to make a point of this, says that he of himself, he, he would not require this of anyone. But he's laying down a principle for the church and ongoing that this is a very important part of the support of the ministry those who are ministering together. This extends, and there are many other passages that talk about this, to the expenses of the church. You know, we support missionaries, and we send many of our missionaries, we send them $385 a month. This is not just for them to feed their family. They use of this also for other expenses they have, travel expenses, literature expenses. Sometimes many missionaries will take what they have are receiving for support and they will refocus it and prioritize it into ministry expenses of the expenses of planting a church. And so when we speak of contributing cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry and to the expenses of the church, they are so closely tied together. In a practical sense here at Fellowship Baptist Church, you may say, where are the overhead expenses listed in the Scripture? Well, as we are supporting in the ministry, this building, is this building aiding us in the ministry? Because we put, if you look at our budget, a significant amount of money towards the overhead expenses of this property. But notice we're careful to separate them in our budget. That's intentional because we have to ask the self, ourselves this question is, is this overhead actually a part of the ministry? It can get out of balance. You've probably seen it at times get out of balance. We must be careful that whatever is invested in the carnal thing, so to speak, or in the physical property, that it is in perspective with our eternal priorities, which again comes back to the ministry to people. To people, that's the key. There is nothing wrong with investing into facilities that help us in the ministry, but if it's not helping us in the ministry, it is a question of priority that we must be very careful to address. So we covenant together to engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit to contribute cheerfully, regularly to the support of the ministry, to the expenses of the church, to the relief of the poor. We have examples of this taking place in Acts chapter 4 where there were those who owned houses and lands. They sold the houses and lands because there were those who were poor and in need. It was sold and the money was taken and brought and laid at the apostles' feet so that it could be distributed to those who were poor, those who were needy. Romans chapter 15 also teaches this of the importance of supporting and caring for the poor. So also, in fact, where we were just at in 1 Corinthians, 
I'm sorry, in 1 Timothy, where it spoke of the one who labors in the word and doctrine and being worthy of double honor, just before that, it speaks of the care and provision for the widows. We also see that back in Acts. There's a great ministry of the relief of the poor. This is an area that, to be candid, in our modern society, in our American society, is an awkward one for us because we live in a society of great affluence. And so it is very easy for us oftentimes to miss the poverty, to not see it. This is one good reason why it's something that is important for us to not also just pay attention to where we're at, but to other parts of the world and for us as individuals to be considering that. How can we help? How can we engage in different things? In the case here we see in this first century, there was great distress in Jerusalem. And there was much relief for the poor that wasn't actually taking place at Corinth or in the churches of Galatia. They were taking up offerings in Galatia and in Jerusalem or in Corinth to send to Jerusalem. So there is this priority of, of relieving the poor. There's two ways we've done this at Fellowship Baptist Church. It's not a part of our budget, but as a part of our deacon fund offering is specifically set aside for that. Part of the reason why it's separate is because it is a very subjective ministry. It is very subjective. When is someone poor? When is someone not? What are the causes worthy and not worthy? And so it's something that is, again, free will, specifically sometimes for a particular cause or for other things like that. So if you're aware of a need or something, please, that's what Deacon's Fund is for, communicate with the deacons that we can evaluate the situation and consider it. It's the only part category of our entire budget that is also confidential, again, because of part of its sensitive nature. Sometimes it's not always confidential. There's certain needs that are presented as unifying projects for us. There's been times in which we have taken up offerings to relieve um, hurricane disasters. We've done that in Nepal. We've done that in Haiti. We've done that in a few different places over the past many years. A few years ago, we also took up a special offering for Pastor Felix in the relief of being able to buy food. Remember all the videos of all the bags of food he was able to bring to the refugee camp and the water filters and the fabric. And there was an illustration of how Pastor Felix brilliantly used it. He didn't just use the money to go buy clothes to distribute. He went and bought fabric to then employ, work with their hands, those who were in need and had nothing they could do as refugees. I mean, people who had PhDs and all they could carry for them was a diploma and they had no work because they were running for their lives. Now he could engage them to work with their hands and also to receive the benefit of then having clothing for themselves and their children. And so this is a priority for our church that's done on a regular basis in, through the Deacon Fund and then on special causes as well. We've done that sometimes by offerings, and sometimes we do that by taking some of what we have in our operating fund and voting to allocate it for that particular purpose or need so that these, this goal and priority can be made. This is one of our priority. As we covenant together to engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, to the expenses of the church, to the relief of the poor. And finally, but may I say this is actually the biggest priority of it all? The spread of the gospel through all nations. The spread of the gospel through all nations. That's the reason why we have a specific category in our budget for missions. And not just in that, but we regularly take up love offerings for missions. It's amazing, and in addition to the offering, what takes place is so much investment that you as a people give 
to the spread of the gospel through all nations. In, in Philippians, turn with me here to Philippians chapter 4, Paul speaks of how the Philippian church engaged with him financially in his missionary endeavors around the world. If you look with me in verse 10, Philippians 4.10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at your last care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye also wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. This is a church who had communicated with them, that was shared with him money in support of him, and they lacked opportunity to care for him. They were full of care for him. And, and he goes on to say, I'm not writing this because I, I, I want you to send more, but to just so that you know that I am so grateful no matter what I face we don't have time to go through all of this, but you can see where he speaks of in the famous verse in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. This is a declaration of what he can do through the finances that this Philippian church has sent to him. And notwithstanding, even though everything I can be sustained by God, he says, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate. That's giving. Giving, not just writing letters. It is giving as writing the letters with my affliction. And he praises them for the ministry that they had done, not once but twice, and he is so thankful for it. This is the spread of the gospel throughout the world, played out practically in Philippians. But really, the reason why this is significant is because this is our great commission. Back to Matthew chapter 28, when just before Jesus ascended to heaven, this is the commission that he gave to us. And so we need to be putting, may we say, our money where our mission is. And so priority must, must, must be taken in all of that. So we have covenanted together as a church that we will engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit to contribute cheerfully, regularly to the support of the ministry, to the expenses of the church, to the relief of the poor, to the spread of the gospel through all nations. I leave you with two challenges. First, in your personal life, may all that you have be reckoned as God's and that you are the steward of God's stuff. And will you use that wisely? Will you be a faithful and good steward of all that God has given to you in your personal life? And then as members of this church, we looked at this question of the budget. Our Constitution, I've listed the details relating to how finances are handled in our church on the next page of your, of your handout. As a church, we have agreed together in this Constitution and bylaws that we're going to operate under a budget. Budgets are important. And the way that's done is spelled out here. It's determined... Um, the church shall operate within a balanced budget that is proposed by the pastors and deacons and approved by the congregation annually. And so as pastors and deacons, we want your input in these priorities. That's the reason why this afternoon, in anticipation of putting this together and working on this proposed budget, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. 
How is the Holy Spirit aiding you and leading you in the fulfillment of these priorities that, that the pastors and deacons can take in and prayerfully consider as we proceed forward to propose a budget to the church, for the church to be engaged in the approval process of that. And so I submit to you two things. Take your stewardship of all that you have personally, faithfully before the Lord, and take the stewardship you have as a member of this church who has covenanted together to engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit to contribute cheerfully and regularly, contributing and in prioritization to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We have a part in giving, and we have a part in fulfilling this as a body together. Let us be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you this day for all that you have given to us. Give us great wisdom to be stewards individually and as a church of how and what we should spend your money on. May you be glorified in it all and every expenditure. May we continue to move forward, diligently working and walking and living by the aid of your Spirit. Your Spirit of God, lead us and guide us. We need your help. May we not quench you, but be filled with you as we walk in you. Lord, I pray for the people here. Give each one in their families the wisdom they need to set priorities. I pray for myself, Pastor Virgil, and the deacons as we consider ideas, suggestions, as we consider priorities that are laid forth in your word for the budget of this church and together as a congregation, the approval of that. Lord, lead us and guide us in unity and in priorities that are in accordance with your priorities. We worship you this day and we pray in your name. Amen.